Very good to start off with here today. Sorry. Um, now today you can see it's a very long passage, but don't worry, don't worry. Right, you'll be able to get through it. Uh, you can divide it up into smaller chunks, and actually, it's quite easy to break down. Now, uh, I remember when I was very young, I had a neighbor, and that neighbor, um, for whatever reason, used to get all these uh, like Playboy magazines or whatever uh, from some relative who supposedly gave it to him. And then, uh, so he used to, we used to look at it, right? And then as I got older, I went to boarding school in Australia, and then there was pornographic magazine. Then after a while, I started getting addicted. And then by the time I was 16, uh, I even had my own collection. But when I was 22, uh, I received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So I took the bag of all the pornographic magazines and I threw it away down the garbage chute. I thought, okay, that's the end of it, right? No more worries. But little did I know that actually it was a struggle that would go on for a lot longer and it would be a very difficult struggle. And I think that as I was going as a Christian, I used to ask my, myself the question, you know, like, why is this happening? Why do I keep struggling with this sin? Why can I be free from this sin? Why is it it's so frustrating that I keep struggling away with this sin? And I think today's passage uh, is actually very relevant to this question. Because we've been looking quite a bit at the, the book of Romans, and I think the first part of Romans has a lot to do with our spiritual condition. Alright, so we, we learned very early on, if you look on the screen, I've got quite a lot of slides today to help you understand, that every single person was judged by God. Right? Man or woman, Gentile, Jew, everybody was a sinner. And because God's standard was so high, and God's judgment was so perfect, no one could ever be free from that judgment. But then later we read, that it's only because Jesus comes into the world, that God focuses all His judgment on Jesus at the cross, that people can be forgiven. And what we require from us is to have faith in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But, as we moved along the book of Romans, the question then turned from our spiritual condition and our salvation to how do we live now that we are actually saved in Jesus Christ? What do we do now in terms of our living, right? And if you look up here on the slide, Last week, in chapter 6, verse 13, right, this week we're looking at chapter 7, it asks a very, very logical question, which I think many Jewish people who became Christian or were being evangelized would ask. Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Right, because now that I'm forgiven by Jesus, now that Jesus has borne all my sins on the cross, does that free me to keep sinning before God? I mean, what's there to stop me sinning right before there was the law? But then now I've taken the law away, so what's stopping me from sinning? Well, last week, uh, like Nick was preaching, actually, we don't sin anymore because now we are under like a different master. Right? So, we used to be under the slavery to sin, but now in Jesus Christ, our master is now Jesus, and we are slaves to Jesus, and we give parts of our body to Jesus to do acts of righteousness. Now, this uh, issue about the law is continued in chapter 7. Okay, now we look at chapter 7. The question is not so much about the master over us, but law itself. Was the law really able to stop us from sinning in the first place? Was the law really effective in stopping and restraining our sin? So in verse 1 to 3, it talks about this example from marriage, right? So in verse 1 it says, oh, I think, don't I put it up there? Oh, okay. You don't go back, wrong way, alright. Okay, so we, now we want to examine the place of the law, okay, the place of the law in the life 
of a Christian and whether it really stops you from sinning. Okay? Okay, don't need to see the picture. Okay. So in verse 1 and 3 it says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone, only as long as a person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man, while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Now, this is a very, very simple, straightforward illustration. Everybody can understand, right? Because if you are married to somebody, right? So, if you are married to somebody, then obviously, while the person is still alive, you are bound to that person. So, I mean, when people get married, they always make the vow, right? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And what do they all say after that? That's right. Till death do us part. Okay, you must remember that part, right? Till death do us part. So until you are uh, parted by death, the only thing that breaks it is by death, you are always bound to one another. And while you're still alive, if you are married to someone and you have sexual relations or sexual intimacy with someone else, then it's seen as adultery. It's only when there's the death of one party which nullifies the vow which then frees you to then seek out another partner. So here, that principle of marriage is actually shown to be between the law and humanity and mankind, right? So it's as if the law was married to mankind, to people, okay? But what happens now is, in verse 4, it says, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. To him who raised, was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Okay, now this is a very important passage, a very important section. And it basically says, Right, if you look up here on the slide, right, actually visually it's much easier to understand. That because we are united, remember I think uh, Nick preached on this last week as well, because we were united in Jesus Christ in baptism, right, in belief, we were, we died with Jesus, we were buried in the Jesus. So in a very real way, we've actually died to the law and are now separate from the law. Okay, we're separate from the law. And that's actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing, right? It's not a bad thing. We used to be married to the law, but now we're separate from the law. And the Bible actually says that's a good thing because the law, not that the law itself was bad, but our sinful nature, if you read here in verse 5, our sinful nature used the law to work in us to bear fruit for death. Right? To bear fruit for death. So if you, if you look up here on this slide, you, you'll see that the law itself is not a bad thing. The law is a good thing. It's just that it was a bad marriage, right? It was a bad marriage because we were sinful, and because we were sinful, it used the law, our sinful nature used the law to actually bring out evil and sin and wickedness within us, which led to our death. Now, 
what happened was after we like in a sense broke off with um, with the law and separated from the law a good thing happened because in Jesus it actually says that we actually now serve the new way of the spirit rather than the law okay now if you if you see very clearly here in verse 6 right that actually the spirit is effective in stopping sin but the law the law is not effective in stopping sin see god had promised in ezekiel chapter 36 which i have there on the slide that i will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and i'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and i'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws so actually what is effective in stopping people sinning is not the law but it's actually the holy spirit because the law in itself actually doesn't stop me from sinning it actually helps me to sin more but actually the holy spirit working in me helps me to be obedient to the law so if you look up here on the slide right you see that sin actually uses the law to bring death to us. Okay, this slide is very important, right? The sin actually uses the law to bring death. But Jesus Christ uses the Holy Spirit to actually bring obedience. So actually, this separation from the law is a very good thing because this marriage to the law was not actually doing any good in terms of stopping us from sinning. And that's where the rest of the passage actually comes in, right? It tries to struggle with this issue. Well, why, why does the law not actually become effective in stopping us sinning? No, I mean, so the next question which is asked in verse 7, right? What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Like, is the law itself actually the cause of our sin? Well, verse 7 says very clearly, right? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the covenant, by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetousness. So this is a very important point, right? Because... The law is actually powerless, right? Okay, these are all these random pictures I found. Okay, the law is actually powerless to stop us from sinning. But the Holy Spirit actually sets us free from sin. And what it's actually saying here is, um, okay, this is a further passage, is that in this passage in particular, the law itself, actually what happens is, it, it when I know there's a law there, instead of stopping me from sinning, it actually makes me want to sin more and more. So I remember this pastor was giving this illustration and he was with these school kids. And he challenged these school kids. And he said, I want you to do an experiment. He said, I want you to, for the rest of the week, to try not to lie. Try not to lie, right? And at the end of the week when we meet again, I want you to tell me whether you were successful in not lying. And he meant lying in everything, right? No, there are no white lies. There's no, no blurring of the truth. You must tell the truth Plainly all the time. So the children came back to him at the end of the week in this school and said, Oh, that's not fair, right? That, you know, that what you asked us to do is not fair. Because once I realized that you didn't want me to lie, 
It was hard. Everything I, I, I used to say was lying. And I think that's the way it is, is it? Because when we know that we can't do things, it actually makes it all the more harder for us to stop doing it. So I remember when I went to NTU once, right? And there was this big sign there saying, no burgers or soft drinks or fries, right, at this place allowed. Then I was thinking, wow, now that I've seen this sign, I really feel hungry and I feel like having a burger and a soft drink and fries, right? Or sometimes, you know, you know, you see that the, the sign that says, do not, you know, do not cross over the grass, right? Use the pathway. And you think, oh yeah, actually it's true. If I cross over the grass, it's so much shorter than if I use the pathway, right? Or imagine if you have a child, right? Imagine when Ruel gets to be like seven or, you know, eight years old and you give him this box and you tell him, whatever you do, don't open this box, right? Then the moment you say that, then I'm sure Ruel will be thinking, what's the box, right? Why, why can't I open the box? No, I really, no, 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 you told me not to open this box. I really, really want to open this box to see what's in the box. So I think that's what happens because when the law tells me, don't covet, don't desire what other people have, don't feel that you want it to, then it's almost as if the law is like a fertilizer or like water which, which, which actually helps evil or sin, the sin living in me to actually grow and to actually, you know, produce. So that's why it says there, if you see very clearly, in verse 12, right, that the law is holy, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. But the problem is not the law, but if you see there in verse 8, right, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetousness. It says in verse 9, I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. It's almost as if sin is like this uh, powerful um, uh, force within me and it's using the law in a bad way to deceive me and to produce all these desires to make me sin. And I think that's the point of all this is because the Jewish people were asking the question, hey, without the law... How are you going to stop people from sinning? And I think the Bible's point is actually the law itself does not stop you from sinning. It cannot stop you from sinning. Because sin lives within me. There is this wicked force within me which wants me to sin. And when the law comes into my life, it's like oil to fire, right? When you add oil to fire, it just makes the fire bigger. The sin wants to sin even more. Now, look at what it then says. In verse 13, right? Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. So we see actually the commandment of God, in a way, even though it doesn't fulfill its purpose of showing, of stopping sin, does fulfill its purpose because it shows, like it, it shines the light on my sinfulness and shows me just how sinful I am. See, before I, I knew that coveting was bad, if I knew lust was not bad, if I knew that murder was not bad, if I knew that you know uh, uh, lying was not bad, then I'll think I'm a pretty good person, right? But once I have all these laws in front of me and I realize I'm breaking this 
I'm breaking that left, right, and center, and I, everywhere I turn, I'm breaking the law, then it, it, I realize that actually, just how bad I really am. So think for a moment, right? Imagine you have cancer, and you go and see the doctor, and uh, the doctor you know, does a scan on you, and then she says, oh, I've got this big, big tumor in my lung, right? Is it the, is it the scanning machine's fault that, that, that you have this tumor in your lung? No, right? Because it's the cancer's fault that you have this tumor in the lung. But the scanning machine actually is the instrument or the tool by which it reveals just how bad the condition is. And that's why verse 13 is so powerful, isn't it? The commandment through the law, sin might become utterly sinful. See, the law doesn't stop sin, but the law actually shows us just how bad we are, just how sinful we are. Because there are all these rules that we just are unable to keep. And I think that's why verse 14 onwards shows us such a depressing picture, right? So I noticed Minke had problems reading this passage, right? Because all the things I want to do, I can't do, right? But it really is very uh, powerful. So if you have it up here on the slide, uh, I want you to pay attention to all the highlighted sections to show us our helplessness before sin, right? So in verse 14 it says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I am sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate to do, what I hate I do. And if I, if I do what I want, I do, sorry, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, it is the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Where are we up to? Okay. Alright. So I find this law at work. Uh, what I want to do, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law in my mind and making me a prisoner of, this, of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself... Oh, it's not up there anymore, right? Okay, stop. Now you notice all the highlighted things, right? Uh, oh, no, not too far. Slave to sin, sin living in me, sinful nature, evil is right there, prisoner, okay, body of death. All these things actually show us that, that there's a struggle within him, right? So when you have the law, the, the mind or the inner being, like he says, recognizes, hey, these are all good things, right? I don't think I should murder. I agree. I don't think I should last. I don't think I should lie. I don't think I should steal. I don't think I should cover. All these things, yes, my mind agrees. Yes, I agree. But my mind and my inner being agree and desire to do it. But there's another part of me, right? Another side of me which wants to do it. The sinful nature. And it's almost as if it's, it's like this, right? You know, sin is like this uh, uh, force within me. And, and my mind and my inner being wants uh, to do what God wants me to do, it desires to do it. But then I find like sin is bullying me, right? It's this big bully, right? Which, which kind of like always 
overwhelms the good that I want to do. You know? Or, or, or to look at it another way, right? I've got another picture. These are all my imagination. It's like sin, it's like, it's like, you know, he's sort of like you're, you know, like you're a dog on a chain, right? You know, you want to pull one way, but actually sin is pulling you the other way. It's dragging you to do what you don't want to do. And that's why uh, verse 24 is so powerful, right? Because it's a cry of despair, right? What a wretched man I am. Right? Who will rescue me from this body that is the subject to death, right? You see, because the, the 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 life of the person without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus, is like that. You're struggling. You want to do what is good, but sin like overpowers you, like this bully. Like sin is like a person pulling you along on a chain. But then Paul actually says the answer is not the law. The law can't save you from sin, the big bully, the person pulling you on the chain. What saves you is Jesus Christ, right? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, it's only through Jesus and only through the Holy Spirit living in us that we're able to struggle against the power of sin in our life. Now, I think the Bible is very clear that Jesus... Turning to Jesus, breaking the power of sin, the Holy Spirit in us, doesn't mean that we are perfect, or that we are sinless, or that we'll ever reach perfection in this life. See, in Galatians chapter 15, it says, oh, chapter 5, sorry. So I, li- I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, but the Spirit, sorry, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict, like they're fighting one another, so you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And in 1 John chapter 1, up here it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word has no place in our lives. See, I think that's why in the Christian life, when we accept Jesus Christ in our life, and the Holy Spirit is working within us, sin is defeated. Sin is defeated. But sin doesn't know that. Right? It's almost as if sin is waging like this terror, uh, like guerrilla war in your, in your body. Like it's still fighting, and it's always going to keep fighting while you're alive, even though Jesus and the Holy Spirit has defeated it in our lives. And that's why in, at the end of it, in verse uh, 25, it says, uh, in, in uh, the book of Romans again, it ends, So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Now it's not as if Paul here is like schizophrenic, right? He's got two personalities, right? You know, one minute, you know, he's like good Paul, and then the other minute he's like bad Paul, right? You know, so he's the serial killer one minute, and then, you know, he's the apostle the next. But I think what he's really trying to say is that there's a struggle within us as, as Christians. Because, as Christians, if you look at the next slide, right, uh, we like live in two worlds, right? We are, we are like in Christ, but even though we're in Christ, we're not fully yet regenerate because sin still lives in us. So in my mind and in my inner, bit, my inner being, through the Holy Spirit, I'm fighting against my unspiritual, sinful, fleshly nature. 
But what that means is that what Paul is saying is that the law, the whole point is that the law actually doesn't stop us from sinning. Sin uses the law to kill us. But because we've been buried and we've died with Jesus, we're actually now serving Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And in that way, we actually have confidence that in our struggle against sin, we continue to gain the upper hand. But there will only be complete victory, uh, if you look at the last one, uh, when Jesus comes again and the body of sin is completely destroyed in ourselves. Right? So I remember um, uh, a friend of mine uh, was talking to this old missionary who was like 90 years old, right? And he was asking him, you know, like, oh, you've been a Christian, you know, for so long, you've been a missionary, like, for 40-something years of your life, you know, do you still struggle with sin? And this missionary says, yes, you still struggle with sin, you never stop fighting sin. But the answer is not to give up, but the answer is to keep working together with the Holy Spirit and under the Lordship of Jesus, because God says that as you follow the Holy Spirit, you will continue to be victorious over sin in your life. You may not gain complete victory, but you'll gain more and more mastery over sin in your life. So as we look at this passage, I think the main point that we are to get from it is, you cannot conquer sin by yourself. By yourself, you will always lose to sin. Rules and regulations, the law, will never be effective in stopping you from sinning. It is a supernatural battle and it needs supernatural power. And that supernatural power only comes because of Jesus, being united with Jesus and having the Holy Spirit. So if you want to truly understand the nature of the struggle before us, we have to see that, look, the reason why we cannot save ourselves is because we cannot overcome sin on our own. We can only overcome sin through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit of us. And that's why it's so important to keep holding on to Jesus, regardless of what happens. Because you cannot solve the problem of sin on your own. You cannot overcome sin. You need Jesus and the Holy Spirit uh, to help you.